My message today is in line with our community work, and I want to talk about all lives matter. And my uh, text is the 71st Psalm of David, uh, Psalm 71, verse 9. It says, Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. Down in verse 18, it says, Now also, when I'm old and gray-headed, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to every everyone who is to come. 14 years ago, I preached a message in Cornerstone entitled The Big 5-0. I recall I was just months away from my 50th birthday and I was preparing to make a transition. The 50th birthday is of course a massive milestone in anyone's life and in any culture. I remember before I hit my 50th birthday, I was terrified. My father died of a heart attack at the age of 50. And I honestly didn't think that I would live beyond 50. Seriously, I kept saying that to my wife that, and she kept rebuking me for saying it. And I had this incessant badgering from the devil. You are not going to make it past 50. You are not going to make it past 50. At the time, I had a bit of a health scare with my heart, a uh, little overweight, and that didn't help. But I'm 64 this year, ladies and gentlemen, and the devil is a liar. Amen. But I'm almost in disbelief to think that a decade has passed and I've crossed my 60th mark and now I'm almost halfway mark at, towards my 70th birthday. Boy, where did all those years go to? Now, when I hit my 60, I thought that my life was sort of winding down and that was in, sort of entering into my final season of my life. But at 64, I realized that I was stepping into the most productive season of my life. Trust me, ladies and gentlemen, the 60s are the new 40s. Hallelujah. Woo! Amen. The 60th birthday is a big deal for the Jew because the moment you cross your 60th, it meant that you avoided premature death. And you're now in a position that you're officially welcome into the ranks of what we call the zikna in the Hebrew or the eldership, which was a position of honor. Now, how many of you ever watched a Disney movie, The Prince of Egypt? It was an animated film that retells the Exodus story. And in retelling the story, we have the three siblings, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, who look like they're in their 20s. But the fact is, Moses was actually 80. Aaron was 83, Miriam was even older. So what's the point? The point is the heroes of this amazing story were all senior citizens. <laughs> yeah. When Moses came to the elders of, Egypt, of, of Israel, he, to tell them how he met God at the burning bush and what God was going to do, he was 80. And he approached um, the, the Zechonim or the eldership or literally the bearded ones. And throughout the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, it was the elders that assumed leadership because of the wisdom of their experience. All age is always seen as a blessing of God. And elder, the elderly are always honored in Scripture. Proverbs 16 and verse 31 says, The silver-haired head is a crown of glory if it's found in the way of righteousness. Job adds and says, Is not wisdom found among the aged? Did you know? That in the Middle East, ladies and gentlemen, it is an insult to underestimate the age of a person. Now for us, of course, it is a compliment. If somebody comes to me today and tells me, Pastor Young, you don't look a day above 50, you'll make me a happy person. But not for the Middle Eastern people. Why? Because in the Bible, old age was seen as a privilege and youth was perceived as a disadvantage. When Jeremiah was first 
commission as a prophet, his response, I am only a youth, Lord. Why? Because he knew no one would want to listen to a young man. And Paul had to encourage Timothy by saying, let no one despise your youth. Why? Because old age was something that was honored in scripture, not young people, not youth. But today that we have swung to the other side of the pendulum and we idolize all these uh, young hipster type who because of maybe one smart idea become billionaires or some social media influencer and we swoon over them. And it seems like the days when elders were respected as repositories of knowledge are long gone, especially if you live in the West or a city that has a lot of Western influence. Now Google is the elder. Independence is our new God. Is it any wonder why many of us resist growing old? Who wants to lose our independence? Who wants to lose our mental faculties? Who wants to lose their strength? Is it true, is it, it, is, it is true that the younger generation often view the elderly as a financial burden, an interference of one's pursuit of pleasure and success. And it doesn't help when silly politicians like the ex-governor of Colorado says outrageous things like the terminally ill and elderly people have a duty to die and get out of the way. What's wrong with these people? What's wrong with these people? We must change our perception of the elderly. They are not a burden. My mom is 90 years old. She's not a burden to me or to my family. She has lived with us 27 years. She's still actively hanging out with her friends. She has a lucid mind and she's got so much to offer even at her age, hallelujah. You know, we've become a very self-centered utilitarian society. Now as age uh, has a way of changing our perception of things. You might have heard me say this before, but I'll say it for the sake of those who have not heard it. When I was 20, I was concerned always about how people thought about me, the perception of me. At 40, I couldn't care less what people thought about me. At 64, I realized was no one was thinking about me, amen. Age is um, it's all a matter of the mind. If you don't mind, doesn't matter, hallelujah. You know, at 64, you live more yesterdays than you have tomorrows, but I'm in no mood of retiring, not yet. Not ever, amen. My role will change in this church at some point in time, but I put my hands to the plow, I'll never look back. Now as you age, you enter in a phase of diminishing returns. What that means is you're not as strong as you used to be. You don't have the same kind of vitality. Your skin starts sagging, your eye starts diminishing in, in, in clarity. Your bone starts creaking, your muscle starts aching and your plumbing starts leaking, amen. But I take encouragement by what the Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16, that while the outward man perishes, the inward man is being renewed. Let me just say this to you, the swift passage of time does not intimidate the ancient of days. Come on. It's also true that the most productive season in a man's life is uh, from 60 to 70, and this is based on a lot of empirical studies from a lot of universities in the world that at the age of 60 and, and, and onwards, that we come into the most productive season of our lives. Did you know that the average age of a Nobel Prize winner is 62? The average age of a CEO of a Fortune 500 company is 62. The average age of the pastor of the 100 largest churches in America is 60. And the average age of a billionaire is 67. What does that tell you? It tells us that God has somehow engineered and designed life in such a way that the best work of our lives is accomplished in the latter years. 
Come on. The 60s are the prime season of our lives. Our influences grow and as we mature and acquire wisdom. Boy, I tell you, at this stage in my life, I'm receiving more invitations to speak and to be part of advisory boards than any other time in my life. We have the misconception that no one looks at us anymore in terms of potential at a certain, after a certain age, and that's a lazy man's observation. I have enough to keep me occupied for the next 10 years, God willing. Now, my chief feel, feeling in reaching 64 is gratitude. I'm just grateful to be alive and to have this opportunity to serve God. In fact, I said this last week that I thank God every single day of my life that He called me into ministry 34 years ago. Every day. I have the opportunity to thank God. I thank God for the very air that I breathe every morning. I thank God for the grace of life that He gave me permission to live life on the earth. I tell you, we must be grateful to Him for all that He has done for us. Amen. Now, what are some of the critical lessons that I've learned in the past 10 years? Because much attention has been given to the Gen Zs and the millennials. So allow me to give some advice to those of you who are 60 and over. We all face the prospect of growing old. We all need to ask ourselves, what should I be doing now to prepare for old age? Jordan Peterson once said this. He said, you don't get to choose not to pay a price. You only get to choose what price you pay. That's pretty profound. Think about this, right? Here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you choose to follow Jesus wholeheartedly with all your heart, will you have to pay a price? You better believe it. You better believe it. But it's a price, price worth paying. If you choose not to follow Him, you will also have to pay the price. Yes, and that's a price that you can't afford to pay. We will all have to pay the price, but if you bite the bullet now, it will be well with you in your old age. And the fact is, what you are will be then, old age, is what you are becoming now. If you're not becoming a man of faith now, you will never be a person of faith then. If you're, not, if you're grumpy and negative person, you will not be a positive, cheerful person then. If you're not walking with Jesus now and developing a walk with God on a daily basis, you will not do the same thing then. That's what Psalm 71 is all about. David was fleeing Absalom who was trying to kill him. His enemies seemed too numerous. His problems insurmountable. And this psalm was written in David's old age and it encapsulates the wisdom of the lessons that David had learned through his lifetime and the habits he cultivated. Three times the phrase is, uh, is, is made all day long. David said, Lord, all day long I have declared your righteousness. All day long I have declared your praise. All day long I have declared your salvation. What was he saying? He's saying I practice, I cultivated a practice of practicing the presence of God all day long. Hallelujah. So that when you get old, that becomes a natural extension of your life. That's how you prepare for old age, my friends. And the whole psalm teaches us the best way to prepare for old age is to develop a God, with a, a, develop a walk with God now. Amen. And you, if you've not done so, then start today, for goodness sake. Start today. Amen. C.S. Lewis said, if you, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. Come on. Amen. Yeah. Now, here are some of the lessons I've learned. Are you guys ready for it? Number one, stay trusting. Trust His goodness, trust His strength, trust His faithfulness. When I first received salvation, I think the first revelations I had was that I was a sinner. I couldn't save myself and I couldn't become a better person. I had to trust God, put my faith in God for salvation, confess that He was my Lord, my Savior, my Redeemer. 
he was, that he was the son of God. And the Bible says that the moment I believed in him, it was accounted to me for righteousness. It was nothing that I've done, but everything that he has done. It was all a matter of faith. And by grace, I have been saved. True faith is not grace, but grace. And it's grace, period. It's grace all the way. Amen. And that's what grace is all about. Grace is a good deal. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And we're all recipients of His grace here today. Amen. Now here's the challenge that I want to give to you today. You trusted the Lord for salvation, yes? How many years ago you were saved? You said, Lord, I believe in you. You did nothing. You couldn't do anything to be righteous. You trusted the Lord. And then you had the experience of being born again. And it's all by grace. Now my challenge for you is, if you trusted Him for salvation, then can you trust Him for everything else in your life? That's the challenge. At this stage in my life, most of the lessons that I'm learning has to do with a total abandonment to the loving arms of Jesus. Amen. I'm trusting Him for strength. Because when you get older, uh, you know, you lose uh, the, 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 the vitality of your youth, and which is strength. I'm trusting Him for my health. I have communion every morning. I acknowledge that He is my, my healer. That by the every morning I confess, by the stripes of Jesus Christ, I am healed. I'm trusting Him for my protection, my, my family. I'm trusting the Lord for His provision. Every morning I recite the covenant names of God. Did you know that God has got many covenant names? His Jehovah Jireh provider, Jehovah Rapha our healer, Jehovah Nisi our banner. His Jehovah Shalom, our peace. His Jehovah Sidkidnu, our righteousness. His Jehovah Makadesh, our sanctifier. His Jehovah Rohai, our shepherd. His Jehovah Sabor, the, the Lord of the armies of heaven, of heaven. Every morning, ladies and gentlemen, recite the covenant names of God because what they do is they keep you trusting in His character. Hallelujah. Amen. You have to reaffirm your trust in the Lord again and again. Do we trust in the one we call Master? In the parable of the 11-hour workers, the difference between the first-hour worker and the 11-hour worker is an issue of trust. Do you trust Him enough to know and believe that He is not going to shortchange you in life? Because when there is a lack of trust, then you will try and negotiate, maneuver, haggle to look after your self-interest. The first group of workers began the day by negotiating with the landowner, eventually, they got what they bargained for, a fair deal. They worked for a denarius a day. Remember the whole parable? At the end of the day, they got a denarius. What you bargained for, you got. But the last 11-hour workers, they didn't bargain. They said, whatever you pay us, it's fine with us. They trusted in the integrity and the goodness of the landowner. And at the end of the day, they also got one denarius. That's a good deal. You work one hour, you get a full day's wage. Hallelujah. And we all got the good deal because we all received grace. So the question is, do you truly believe that he's not going to shortchange your life if you totally put your confidence in him? Amen. Number two, stay healthy. Artie Kendall, who's a dear friend who is in his 80s, once told me, he said, if I knew I'd live this long, I'll take better care of myself. You know the Terminator in the movie, his catchphrase is, I'll be back. The 60-year-old catchphrase, oh my back, hallelujah. <laughs> I'm pretty consistent with my routine. I try to do 8,000 steps a day, not a week, a day. I walk eight to 10 flights of stairs each day. 
I'm trying to eat less. I know we just came out from the Chinese New Year season. I make sure that I get about seven hours of sleep every day. I do communion every single morning. I take my vitamins. I monitor regularly my blood pressure. What can, can I do more, ladies and gentlemen? Definitely. I hear the spirit of Jim calling me, hallelujah. <laughs> Someone said to me, Pastor Young, you need to get into shape. Listen, Ron is also a shape. <laughs> uh, in my time, in my day, we used to call toilets John. Remember? Some of you older ones, we don't say, can I go to the bathroom or toilets? Just can I go to the John or the loo, right? Well, I decided that I was going to change John to Jim. So whenever I go to the toilet, I'm going to Jim. Hallelujah. <laughs> a man went to see his doctor and the doctor says, don't eat anything fatty. He said, like what? Sausages, bacon? He said, no, fatty. Don't eat anything. <laughs> if you ever been to Uganda, I've been to Uganda many times. The culture there is very interesting. It's different from our culture. It, it's a compliment when you say to someone, you're looking fat. That's how they greet one another. You're looking fat. It simply means you're being blessed by God. Now in our culture, it's quite the opposite. If I say to my wife today, you're looking fat. <laughs> but believe it or not, the Bible has the same attitude as those people in Uganda about weight gain. Weight gain is a good sign. It's a sign of blessing, not a bad one. When Solomon was extolling the beloved's beauty, he says to her, your waist is like a heap of wheat. You just tell your wife your waist is like a heap of wheat. <laughs> a favorite dieting passage in the Bible is the Daniel fast. If you remember Daniel and his three friends uh, asked to be served only vegetables for 10 days whilst everyone was feasting. And a famous pastor even wrote a book called The Daniel Plan. Can I let you in on a little secret? The Daniel Plan actually made Daniel fatter. Read your Bibles. Daniel 1.15, at the end of 10 days, the features appeared better and fatter than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacy. The Hebrew word is bari and it means fat, and fat means fat, ladies and gentlemen. They didn't lose weight, they gained weight. But you can get back to shape, ladies and gentlemen, and you can be encouraged because if God can destroy the Canaanites, He can also destroy the cellulites, hallelujah. Bodily exercise profits a little, but it does. Amen. Number three, stay connected. Now, staying connected doesn't mean being glued to your mobile device. Don't fill your best days with Netflix. Don't fill your best days with Korean dramas. You can watch in moderation. Learn to socialize. Get out there. Make friends. Big factor in keeping your mind lucid and engaged and reducing the danger of cognitive decline. My mom shares with me sometimes the pain of losing her friends. She doesn't say it, but I see it in her eyes. She's 90, and at her age, she doesn't have many friends left. Those who are at her age. Occasionally, she will highlight to me yet another friend who had passed away, another relative. Several years ago, she had a lunch appointment with an elderly friend. And when my mom arrived at the house, she was told that a friend died the night before. And it's very heart-wrenching to see all your friends one by one dying. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 4, 
If any widow has children and grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. The primary responsibility for looking after our aged parents falls on the children and the grandchildren, not on the church. The church plays a supporting role, but it's our responsibility. If you've got aged parents, it is your responsibility to take care of them and show them kindness and financially provide for them, for this is good and acceptable before God. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 says, If anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Boy, Paul doesn't mince his words here. He says, if you can't even take care of your family and your parents, then what's the point of coming to church? You're a hypocrite. You're worse than those infidels. Looking after and honouring our aged parents is a fundamental characteristic of the Christian faith. Did you know that in Shanghai, which was one of the most popular cities in the world in the late 70s, it was well documented that there was only one home for the aged. Almost all the elderly was cared for by family. We have a responsibility for our aged parents. Amen. An elderly woman was once interviewed by a reporter. She, the reporter says, uh, what is the best thing about being 104? She said, no peer pressure, hallelujah. <laughs> My mother-in-law is 103, amen, and strong still. Number four, stay uncluttered. Leo Tolstoy once said this, he said, My happiness consists of the fact that I know how to appreciate what I have and I don't desire what I don't have. The buzzword is simplify, simplify. This uh, Christian life uh, is best described as a pilgrimage. We are pilgrims on a journey. We're just passing through. The earth is only a temporary stopover. This is not our final destination. This life is a probationary life. It's a dress rehearsal for the real life that we're going to live. It's a parenthesis in eternity. That's all it is. And Paul tells us that everything that can be seen is temporal, but those things that are unseen are eternal. We must grow in our awareness of the unseen realm. Amen. Think about this. It's a profound statement. In Luke chapter 10, we find Jesus sending out his 12 disciples, uh, his 70 disciples. And he told them and gave them instructions of how to conduct themselves and what to do. Look at what he says. He said, carry neither money bag or knapsack or sandals and greet no one on the road. In other words, stay focused on the mission. The Message Bible says it this way, travel light, travel light, comb, toothbrush, no extra luggage. Don't loiter, don't even make small talk with everyone you meet along the way. Travel light, my friends. Another picture of the Christian life is climbing a mountain. And when you're climbing a mountain, you want to carry as little as possible. You don't want extra weight. Here's uh, some ad excellent advice from Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Solomon says, there is a time to gain, there is a time to lose, there is a time to keep, and there is a time to throw away. I can't stand clutter. I can't stand clutter. I have an anointing to throw things away. My family is very terrified of me. They, whatever you leave, it's, if it's, if I don't know what it is, I'll throw it away. Anything that I don't have, I have a tendency to dispose. But that comes from my conception that the, le the, the, the less I have, the easier it is for me to manage my time and my life. I'm trying to give away all my clothes that I've not worn in the past 36 months. We only hold them to ourselves. We only hold them for one main reason. We hope that one day we could get back into those sizes. Get over it, my friends. Get over it. Move on. 
Give them to the, the, the barn, amen. Now when you think about it, it's really amazing how little we need in life. That's true. You think about all the geniuses. Steve Jobs only wore a black turtleneck. That's his unique trademark. Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook only wore gray t-shirts. Albert Einstein wore variations of a gray suit. When asked why, the answer is the same. They didn't want to have to decide what they had to wear because they were trying to pare down their decisions. I only have colored shirts because my family says, Dad, you're too boring. So I buy a bit of colored shirts just to appease them. But I still wear white every day. Amen. Finally, a well-known speaker wrote an article when he commented that if he was 30 again, he would do several things differently. One of them was it's okay to let go of some relationships. There's some people you do lunch with and there's some people you do life with. There's some toxic people whose long-term presence in your life is going to suck the very life out of you, man. And they can separate you from your destiny and you will know them by their rotten fruits. Remove them as quickly as possible and save your best energy for those who deserve it. Amen. Make much about the shortness of time. Declutter your home, your life, your friends, your time. Paul, I'm sorry, part with unwanted stuff. Trust me, you will feel liberated. Five minutes after you're dead, we will all wish that we had prayed more, gave more, fasted more, witnessed more, loved more. Because everything that you do now is to be framed in the context of eternity. Amen. Consider eternity, my friends. All the money in the world will not save you. All the riches and fame you have will not save you. Amen. And it is true that while men are considering what place to give Jesus Christ in history, he has already decided what place to give them in eternity. Come on, think about that. I was reading just a few days ago the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. The rich, the Lazarus was a poor man who was lying at the gates of a rich man's house he had nothing to eat and the dogs came and licked the sores of his wounds. The rich man, the Bible says, fed sumptuously every day, every day. He was a banquet for him. And he didn't lift one single finger to help that poor man. Not one single. He walked past the gates day in, day out, day in, day out. Didn't stop one moment and said, can I help you? Can I do something for you? God put the poor man at the rich man's gate to see what the rich man would do for the poor man. So both of them died and Lazarus finds himself in the bosom of Abraham, which is, I believe, paradise. And now he's blessed and he's all got the good, the good, the good stuff. The, poor man, the rich man is in hell burning. And he says, Father Abraham. And you know, Abraham said, my son, he was a, a, a son of Abraham as well, but he's in hell burning. And he says, this man was poor all his life. You didn't do anything. I'm paraphrasing. Not one finger did you lift to help this poor man. I tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, God brings poor people into our midst to see how we would treat them. Because that's where your salvation is going to be. I know that we're not saved by good works. We're saved for good works. Amen. And God puts people around us. You know, the migrant workers, stop, bless somebody. $5, $10, doesn't matter. Stop, bless somebody, man. They're, so, they're all around us. Give somebody. I tell you this, every time a grab driver comes to my house, I make sure I tip them well. Every time. Every time. The, the, the guy that carries the rubbish, bless them, man. You got a lot of Chinese New Year goodies, right? Give them all away. Some of you leave them for next, next Chinese New Year. 
Your bakwata and white and you're still going to keep them. <laughs> I close with this. The only thing worse than losing someone you love suddenly is to lose them slowly. Oftentimes there are no miracles. Just surgery, chemo, memory loss, loss of mobility, speech loss, until the person that you once knew don't even look like the person anymore. And that's why the church is so essential in such circumstances. If you're a caregiver today, we honor you. Here are two words. Jesus remembers. Thank you so much for doing all that you're doing for the community. It's a fact that consistently in the past 25 years, the most admired profession in the world, 25 years, is nurses. Because they're at the front line. If you're a nurse today, we salute you. Thank you so much for serving our community and our nation. Yeah, amazing. Here's something I read, it's quite funny. Let me just read this to you. The only time in our lives that we wish we were older is when we were younger. When we were young, we think in fractions. How old are you? I'm five and a half, meaning I'm quickly going on to six. But when you're 60, you never think in fractions. You're, you're never 60 and a half. <laughs> then comes the greatest day of your life. You become 21. Even the words itself sound like a ceremony. You become 21. Then you turn 30. And you push 40. And by the time you know it, you reach 50. That's when you grow a pot belly and have a double chin. Music gets too loud. You make it to 60. So you become 21. Turn 30, push 40, reach 50, make 60. Then you hit 70. At 70, the music is still too loud, but it doesn't matter because now you can't hear it anyway. <laughs> and then you arrive at 80. It's almost like a major achievement. Woo! I don't know what adjective to use when you hit 90, but I think you attain to 90. It's like enlightenment. Wow. And then a strange thing happens. You make it to 100. And then you become a little child again. And you say, I'm hundred and a half. <laughs> and may I wish you all a healthy hundred and a half. Amen. Let's all stand in the presence of God. Hallelujah. I want to pray for you today. I want to first of all pray for those of you who are 60 and above. If you're 60 and above, would you just lift up your hands very quickly? Yeah. Gosh. Woo, my goodness. How Cornerstone has changed. You know, when we first started our church, the average age was 18. When I called for my board meetings, they all came in their school uniform. <laughs> a few years ago, we, did a, we, we looked at the average age of the church. It was 37 and a half. I think it's now above 40. It's true that Singapore is an aging society. One in four will be a senior citizen by 2030. That's the truth. That's the statistics. And so we got to think about how we're going to look after our, our elderly here in Cornerstone. Thank the Lord for our Cheng San uh, Aging Center doing such a great work. But I want to pray for those, those of you above the age of 60. You know, at the age of 60, we have two problems. Number one, we can't remember. Number two, I, I, I can't remember what it is. But I want to pray for you today. Father, I thank you for all the senior citizens in our community, those age of 60 and above. We honor them, Lord. They are special to you, Lord. They have lived life, Lord. They have grown and they have attained a level of wisdom, Lord. 
but I pray God that they will not have a retirement mentality, Lord. They will not think in terms of retirement, they will think in terms of refinement, Lord. That they're entering into the best season of their lives, Lord. They're entering into the most productive season in their lives. And every one of us who are above 60, I have a word from the Lord. Go all the way with Him. I'm telling you, God is going to use your life greatly. Hallelujah. Don't hold back. Amen. Run with the vision. Run with the vision. We can all do something for the kingdom. Hallelujah. Volunteer for our community services. There are so many things and so many needs to be met. And I pray for the younger generation that in this church, the young will always honour the old, Lord. Always, Lord. There will always be respect. Hallelujah. Young people, when you talk to someone older, always call them, Sir, Ma'am, Sir, Ma'am. Hallelujah. Honour them. Yes, Sir. Yes, Sir. Yes, Ma'am. Immediately. There has to be this honour and respect in the house of God. Amen because that's pleasing to God. We honour our parents. The Bible, that's the fourth commandment. Honour your father and mother for your days will be long on this earth. Hallelujah. You know, when the Bible says honour your father and mother, it didn't tell us to honour the good ones only. It says honour your father and mother, period. If they're your parents, you honour them and you show them honour by providing for them, looking after them and taking care of them. My mom stays on the second floor of my house. I'm on the third floor. And every day I make a point, stop once in a room. And I go to the room, I, you know, I have a, a drink for her, a piece of cake or something. Uh, Mom, how are you doing today? You doing all right? Ah, yeah, yeah, And then we'll talk for a while. She's a bit hard of hearing, so I have to raise my voice a bit. But it's, it's part of growing old. But I make sure that I stop at least once a day at my mom's room, just talk to her, spend time with her. And I want to encourage you to do that as well. Take care of your parents. God gave them to you. You know, it just uh, honours the Lord. And uh, Lord, just bless our community services as well. Every dollar we collect today, it's, it's going to go into our community services. We want to bless them. They're doing such a phenomenal job. So Lord, I just speak your blessings over the people. Before I end the service and close in the prayer, at the end of the service, if you need prayer for healing, ministry, please come to the front and we'll be very happy to pray for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you grace and peace and the blessing of God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. Have a great weekend. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.